Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, there's something really quite awful about our readings for this weekend, and we should just come to grips with it. Um, think about biblical religion is it's not just, you know, nicey-nicey. Biblical religion is not just, uh, you know, feel good all the time. Biblical authors, and this is Old Testament and New, speak with an edge frequently and with a clearly critical intent very often. Anyway, that's one of my pet peeves about religion today is we tend just to shy away from this side of the Bible. You know, we'll emphasize all the kind of nice, uplifting, you know, positive elements. But when the Bible gets kind of dark and sharp-edged, we, we back away or we explain it away. Don't do that. We have to hang in there with it and let the Bible maybe cut us a little bit, you know? So we're looking at our first reading at the uh, prophet Isaiah. And here's the background, I think. Israel indeed is the chosen people of God. So that's clear in the whole Bible. His love has been lavished upon Israel. He's given them the law and the prophets and the covenants and liberation from slavery. He set them up as a standard for all the nations of the world. That's what it means to be the chosen people of God. But see, this means that much is expected of Israel. They're meant to live up to their calling. And God chastises them when they don't. Now, you might say, oh, well, that's, that's too bad for, for ancient Israel. You know, it's tough for them. But watch it, because we, the church, Paul says, are the new Israel. Listen, we to whom Christ and the gospel and the sacraments and apostolic leadership have been given and so we got to live up to our calling. Even though these are pretty hard readings, we therefore have to pay close attention. Okay? So Isaiah, and it, it's, a, it's a trope, it's a comparison that became a, a standard one in the biblical tradition. He speaks of the vineyard. The prophet refers charmingly to a friend who has built a beautiful vineyard that was meant to bring forth much fruit and then give rise to fine wine, right? Well, who's the friend? The friend is the Lord God of Israel. And that's I just love that in itself, that God's being referred to as, as a friend. Well, the friend, Isaiah says, worked hard, worked overtime, worked with all his heart to bring this vineyard to completion. Listen now to Isaiah. He spaded it, cleared it of stones, 
and planted the choicest vines. Nevertheless, despite all this work and attention, what came forth? Wild grapes, we're told. That's to say grapes that were not suited for the production of fine wine. So it's an allegory. The friend, the Lord God of Israel. What's the vineyard? His holy people, Israel. Meant, meant to give rise to fruit that will produce wine that will lift up and intoxicate the whole world. It's a beautiful image for Israel's purpose. What's the spading and the clearing and the planting? Well, it's all of God's efforts on behalf of his holy nation. All his attempts to make it good and and just and fruitful. As I said, law, prophecy, temple, etc. By the way, keep the image of the temple in mind because it's going to reappear symbolically in the gospel reading, which mirrors the Isaiah reading. But all these are the ways that God has cultivated this, uh, this vineyard. The wild grapes, what do they stand for? They stand for the infidelity of Israel. You know, even the most cursory reading of the Bible reveals this as a steady theme, doesn't it? Breaks the prophets' hearts, breaks the patriarchs' hearts, that Israel is unfaithful to the Lord, the Lord who's done so much for Israel and receives in, in response infidelity. The wild grapes are the collective sin of the nation, the individual sins of its people. Above all, I'd say it's idolatry. How often we hear of Israelites worshiping on the high places, that's code for going up and and worshiping the shrines of idols. Even at times, it almost takes your breath away, at times these idols are brought into the holy temple in Jerusalem. How often we hear the Israelites wanting to be like the other people of the world, but see, that's what they shouldn't do, because the whole point of Israel is to be unlike the nations of the world, to be set apart, right? Holy in its fundamental sense means separate, distinct, unique. Think of Israel longing for the flesh pots of Egypt, right? That beautiful image from the book of Exodus, where we've been liberated from slavery, and yet here we are complaining to Moses and longing for at least we had enough to eat in our land of slavery. See, all of that is what's summed up in this image of the wild grapes. The vineyard did not bring forth what God wanted. Okay, so what does God do? Listen again to Isaiah. Now I will tell you, what I mean to do with my vineyard. Take away its hedge, give it to grazing, break through its wall, let it be trampled. Yes, I will make it a ruin. Wow, we strong words. But congruent, I would say, with the logic of the Bible by which God allows us to feel the effects of our sin. He's not abandoned Israel. Don't, don't take it that way. But like a good parent, he's allowing it to experience the consequences of its infidelity. 
you know, this image of the of the vineyard being trampled, the, the hedges broken down, and so on. Well, you can't help but think of the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the violation of the holy place, see, all of that, which Israel tried to understand. How could God do this? Well, Isaiah is giving an explanation. It's a result of your infidelity. Okay, that's reading one. The gospel parable that Jesus tells is in direct continuity with this Isaiah passage. Jesus tells a very similar story. And mind you, the overtones and undertones would not have been missed by his own first century Jewish audience. I mean, the minute a, a rabbi is speaking of the vineyard, they, they would have heard as background this story that we just rehearsed. So Jesus begins. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press, and built a tower. We're right on familiar Isaiah territory. They know the landowner is God. They know the vineyard is Israel. What's interesting is Jesus adds the building of a tower. And that, I think, clearly refers to the temple which towered over the holy city of Jerusalem. But now he gives it a little different twist. The owner sends a series of servants to collect rent. So we're not talking so much here about the wild grapes, but now to collect rent from the vineyard. But when he sends these servants, they're abused and stoned and killed. These stand, of course, for the prophets, the patriarchs, all those people that God sent, as it were, to collect the fruits of the land, the fruits of the vineyard. Well, almost in desperation, we're told the owner decides finally to send his own son, convinced that the tenants would at least respect him. Instead, they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. You know, this, to be sure, is one of the most terrible anticipations of the cross. In a final attempt to make his vineyard fruitful and profitable, God the Father sent his only begotten Son. We heard last week in Paul's great canonic hymn that God you know, emptied himself, became a slave for our sake. Well, here, the Father's sending his only begotten Son. But even that Son was kicked out of the vineyard, abused, rejected, and finally killed. Okay, so what do we do with all this? <laughs> How do we receive these troubling stories? Well, it's a simple question for us, I think, the new Israel of the church. How are we tending the vineyard? We who've received so much from God, and I mean here everything I've talked about, law, covenant, prophecy, temple, liturgy, sacraments, the incarnation of the Son of God, right? We who have received all of this, we who have been cultivated by the Lord God, how are we tending the vineyard? Are we responding to the Lord's invitation with the works of justice and love and peace and chastity and respect for others? Are we giving good grapes from which fine wine for the intoxication of the world can be produced? Or 
fellow sinners, are we more or less killing the messengers? Did God stop sending messengers when he, when he sent the last of the prophets? No, I mean, up and down the centuries, he keeps sending spokespersons, messengers. What do we do with them? How are we tending the vineyard? You know, I'll close with this. There are a lot of ways to look at contemporary secularism and relativism, this kind of arid um, cultural landscape that we inhabit. We could look at those ideologies uh, sociologically, psychologically, economically, politically, etc. But the deepest reading is always a spiritual reading. See, I would say, ultimately, a secularist world is one that has rejected God, that has grown intentionally deaf to the voice of the Spirit. And what is the inevitable result of this? Aridity, lifelessness, violence, wild grapes, right? St. John Paul II called it simply the culture of death. God, as is his want in the Bible, allows us to feel the effects of our sin. What's happened to the lovely vineyard that we've not cultivated? Well, God allows us to feel the effects of it. Ah, but friends, never give up. Never, never leave the gospel with a sense of hopelessness. Here's how Jesus closes this reflection. Did you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? By the Lord has this been done, and it's wonderful in our eyes. Yes, we are wicked. Yes, we've killed the messengers of God. Yes, we've killed even the Son of God. Yes, we tend to yield nothing but wild grapes. But God has not given up on us. Rather, he turns the sign of defeat into the sign of victory. The very one whom we reject is the one he gives back to us as a source of life. Base your life on Christ, the cornerstone. Cultivate the vineyard. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.